Pastor Scott and lead pastor of the river. And really glad that you're checking out our uh, online podcast and our services and hope that you are blessed by this. Certainly, if you have any questions, if you're wondering about stuff that goes on here or maybe you're checking out our website more and seeing things that you uh, are wondering whether or not you might want to participate in them, feel free. Contact us in the office. Give us a call. Send us an email. Um, we'd love to hear from you. love to answer any questions that you have. Uh, we hope that you are blessed by what you hear on, on this podcast. We hope that God's Word continues to have power in your life. And we pray that uh, God makes himself known, that you know how much he truly, truly, truly loves you. Thanks for checking us out and uh, enjoy the service. This is the series that we're concluding this Sunday. Um, the, month of uh, the month of April, the month of July, we've been uh, thinking about recreation, recreation. Sometimes we think of vacation and if you have your little notes, I do a little review of the RE words that we have been using to lead us through this series. And uh, in fact, I sort of, I, I kept the notes. So um, the first Sunday in July, Pastor Scott spoke about refueling and went, took us to Elijah and the place Elijah was in after his mighty confrontation with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and how discouraged he felt and how he finally heard God's still small voice and how that encouraged him. Then the following week, Scott took us to the wedding in Cana and, um, and, and thought with us together about the role of Jesus and the role that Jesus needs to have when we think about um, recreation or recreation. And the thing that sort of stuck with me was when we welcome Christ's presence, our celebrations are even better. Last week, Nick, Pastor Nick, led us through a uh, resistance, he called it, resisting the cultural thoughts about what we need to do to be worthwhile and being ready to take the breaks that God calls us to take and just kind of put ourselves in his hands. And today, the word is repose. Yeah, repose. It starts with R-E. Pastor Scott said, that's good, just use that word. So what is repose? Well, if you take out your very smart phone and you ask Siri the definition of repose, you might come up with something like a state of rest, sleep, or tranquility. And I'm not sure that gets exactly at where the Scripture is going to take us this morning. I like the word response in there as well. But that's what we're going to be looking at, this final message in this short series in the month of July. The Scripture reading is from Hebrews chapter 4. And the notes that you might be looking at say it's going to be the verses 9 through 11. Actually, miraculously, Cindy is going to get us to verse 1 of chapter 4 and then through verse 11. Hebrews is a book of the Bible in the New Testament that's kind of interesting. It, it is sometimes a hard read. We aren't sure who the author is. The author doesn't identify himself. Many think it's the Apostle Paul, 
but others say no, probably not, it's somebody else. What makes Hebrews kind of a hard read is that it refers to the kinds of things that the people of Israel did in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, the covenant, the old covenant, the practices of the people of Israel that God called them to. And it keeps looking to Jesus as the one who fulfilled all of that. Jesus who was greater than Moses, for instance. And, and reminds us that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that. It's a book that's wonderfully, that, that can, is, is a good book to read because it so wonderfully connects the Old and the New Testament. Sometimes we want to say, forget the Old Testament, it's all past, it's uh, done. Let's just focus on the New Testament and make sure we're very familiar with the New Testament. And what the book of Hebrews does is remind us how important what we find in the Old Testament is. Hebrews chapter 4, the verses 1 through 11. I'll, I'll just read it off the screens because I've got an older version of the New International Version. Here we go. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, you almost have to go back to chapter 3, and we will in a moment to just help us understand the connection. Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did, reference to the people of the Old Testament. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, Psalm 95, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. Nick reminded us it's in Genesis chapter 2. On the seventh day God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above he says they shall never enter my rest. Therefore... Since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. So last week, uh, maybe you knew this, I was in Las Vegas. 
Reverend Bert Block and I were in Las Vegas. I was preaching at the Christian Reformed Church up there, and Sunday afternoon we came back to Redlands. Have you ever been in the Sunday afternoon traffic when you're leaving Las Vegas and heading back towards Southern California? It is wild. It is stressful. There are times when you can drive very fast, and you can't drive fast enough for, to avoid having people pass you. They're driving faster. And then there are these times when everybody slows down and it's so frustrating because you can make that trip in three hours and a few minutes normally. And it took us a lot longer to get back. One of those slowdown places was 12 miles before the California border, before Prim, before State Line. And we all just slow down to stop and go traffic. It was frustrating. We wanted to get back. And the people we had stayed with in Las Vegas said, you know, if you're going back Sunday afternoon, be careful. Because those who are driving with you on that freeway, some of them are sleep deprived. Some of them are hungover. All of them are probably very frustrated that they lost all their money gambling. And they're just in a hurry to get back home. What we saw, interestingly enough, as we were just doing the stop and go traffic for those 12 miles to the California border. Pretty soon there were cars that were just going on the shoulder of the road <laughs> to get a little bit ahead of us, to make some better time. And there were vehicles that were going off-road. They went into the ditch and they went off-roading for a while just to get ahead of us. It was wild. It was stressful. I was tired. And I thought about that when you keep reading a rest remains. A rest remains. You'd think maybe someone who'd gone to Las Vegas to take a break, to do whatever they do in Las Vegas and to come back, they won't be very rested when they finally get back home. There is a rest that will remain. They still will need to find rest somewhere. So the question becomes, well, okay, if a rest remains, is the answer are we taking enough vacations? I, I will tell you that Ruth and I have returned from a vacation or two where we felt, well, now we need to take a vacation from our vacation. It happened this past time. Uh, last June, we took Joel and Katie and kids uh, from Redlands, where they'd been living for a decade, over to Pella, Iowa. And we traveled with them and helped them move into their house. And for two weeks, Ruth and I were busy getting the wallpaper, the old wallpaper off the house. And we were busy painting rooms and doing the yard work and trying to get them settled in. It was tiring. And we were glad to get on the road and start back home here. Or as Nick has said last week, are we observing enough feast days as the people of the Old Testament did? Is that maybe the answer? Is that's what's going on? And when you look at the list of feast days, uh, feast weeks, the people of Israel spent a lot of time away from work resting at some level. Every seventh day there was the Sabbath day and then there were these week-long festivals that they would go to. We run into some of that when we read about Jesus when he was 12 years old going first for the first time with his parents to Jerusalem from Nazareth where they were living. And they did this leisurely walk 
Took three days to get to Jerusalem. They spend a week in Jerusalem and then they start back and they finally find out, oh, Jesus isn't with us. We thought he was with some other family members, but he's not here. Let's go back and look for him. Just think about the, the, the work off time that they had for all of that. Should we be doing more of that? Well, notice in the passage that we read that there's three times mentioned in one way or another, arrest remains. And in part, the explanation is because the Israelites didn't enter the promised land. They they didn't enter that promised rest that God was offering them. And if you go back to chapter 3, you'll see exactly what we're talking about. And they hardened their hearts. They rebelled. What was going on with them? Well, God said, I'm going to deliver you from the land of Egypt where you have been slaves and haven't had a chance to rest for 430 years. And I'm sending my servant Moses to deliver you from that and take you to the land of rest. Miraculously, God delivers the people, opens up the Red Sea. Israel goes through. Egypt's armies drown in the Red Sea. God directs them through the wilderness. They stop at Mount Sinai. God organizes them religiously uh, and in all kinds of ways. And then they find their way through the wilderness. God provides manna for them so that they have food to eat. At, At times they have meat from the birds that God sent, the quail that God sent. And they got something to drink from the water from the rock when they needed it now twice. And God brings them finally to the edge of the promised land, the land of rest. Moses sends 12 spies into the land, representing the 12 tribes. And they come back with a majority and a minority report. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, no problem, trust God, let's go. Ten of them said, you know what we saw? Great walled cities and giants. There's no chance that we'd be able to make it into the land. And they convinced the people not to go. And they were condemned to 40 years of wandering in the desert until every one of them except Joshua and Caleb had passed away over the age of 20. And we read about that here in chapter 3, if you just glance back. With whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear they would never enter his rest, if not those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. What do we need in terms of rest? What is God really talking about here? What he's talking about is simply a place of blessing in the presence of God. A place of blessing in the presence of God. And when it comes time after the 40 years for the Israelites to try it again, under the leadership of Joshua, they enter the land of Canaan. They enter this land of rest. They settle in. They're given their inheritance. They're promised that there will be no more war. But what happened? There's a whole cycle of unbelief, a whole cycle of chasing after the gods of the king, a whole cycle of enemies coming into the land and conquering them, and God sending judges to deliver them. And all of that happened because the Israelites weren't resting in the blessing in the presence of God. And so a rest remains. 
Now what we need to be aware of is that I'm shifting gears a little bit from what may have been the thing we thought about in the first part of the series because we do this in July, it's a vacation month, it's about recreation, recreation, it's oftentimes about taking time off and thinking about when and if we can. We stayed with a couple in Las Vegas and she was just telling us about a little bit of what she was running into. And it was, it was just awful because, uh, and I don't know whether it was Verizon or some other company, but it was downsizing and downsizing and Kathy was given more and more work to do and she just could never quit. She could never catch up. It was like 24-7, she said. And she finally stepped away from that. So you've got folks in that kind of situation. Ruth and I are privileged to be able to take vacation time, time away. And we've done that. It really helps because she's a teacher and she's on that school schedule and the summer sort of opens up a little bit. And it's wonderful that way. But for others of you, it may be a whole different story. And you're not thinking so much about vacations. Maybe some of you are retired. Maybe on a minimum income. And you might say, all this talk about vacations and things like that, it's the farthest thing from my mind. I can't afford anything like that. And it's just a day-to-day and a month-to-month struggle. And when there are two months of 31 days back-to-back, like July and August, it's a challenge for me. And then there are others who are part of our fellowship for whom each day looks so different from that. Who are simply asking themselves, how can I get any gas in the vehicle that I have because I've run out of money. It's that time of month. And this is that time of month for a lot of folks. And others are also just asking, and where can I lay my head tonight? Where can I sleep tonight? And, and what am I going to do? When does McDonald's open up so I can access the bathrooms? And I know I'm going to have to buy a cup of coffee if they're going to let me just sit there for a while. And when does the library open up so that I can get into the library and just sit and rest? And where will I shower? And what will I wear? And what am I going to do with my backpack of stuff? Where can I stash it? And they look so forward to Sundays because they know the Coopers welcome them to wash their clothes and allow them to take showers and give them a wonderful meal to eat. That's the rhythm of some in our community and some who are part of our fellowship. And when we talk about vacations and recreation, that's that's not on their minds. And that's not what's on the mind of this text either right now. 
And as I was thinking this through, I was thinking of this old show, Law and Order. Law and Order, drama, set the record for number of seasons it was on. The, actually, it matched a record for number of seasons it was on the air, 20 years. And it matched the record of this old western Gunsmoke, starring James Arness. And, and it just matched that record. And, and, and Ruth and I still love watching the reruns of Law and Order. It's a show that's constructed by being cut in half. And the first part has to do with law, and it has to do with the work of police officers as they investigate a death or a murder or some sort of crime and figure out who might be responsible for it. And then the second half of the show sort of switches over to the order, to the lawyers, to the district attorney's office as they sort of prosecute the case and they go to trial and things like that and find a person innocent or guilty. And oftentimes the issues they were dealing with were very contemporary issues, ripped from the headlines. That was the motto, right? Ripped from the headlines. We are in that kind of setting, spiritually. Law and order. We are guilty in the eyes of God. We have done wrong. We deserve death. And the judgment has been made about us in terms of that. But praise the Lord, that isn't where the story stops for us. Because God sends His only Son, Jesus Christ. God sends His Son to redeem us, to pay for our sins, to take on the judgment that was due us so that we might have rest. So that we might have rest. So what does it look like? What does rest look like? Well, there are two interesting words that are used in this passage. The word rest is, appears often in the passage. It, it translates the word katapausis. Katapausis. It's a word that can even refer to the, the dying down of the wind. After a big old storm, after a tornado, after a hurricane, and the dying down of that wind. When there's calm, when there's peace once again. It can refer even to when a child or a baby finally falls asleep, catapausis, rest, after a busy day, after they've gotten pretty cranky, and it's really time for them to get some sleep, catapausis, rest. And that's what we are in, in part talking about. We who find ourselves in the storm, we who find ourselves with the demand spiritually of what it takes to live a good life, what it takes to, to please God in some way. And then you've got this other word introduced, sabbatismos, comes from the word Sabbath. And it gets introduced here. Um, in the verses of our passage toward the end, we're in number verse 9. Verse 8, Joshua had given them rest, katapausis. There remains then a Sabbath rest, sabbatismos, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. 
For anyone, verse 10, who enters God's rest also rests from his own work just as God did from his. There's a reference that goes back all the way to Genesis 2. Nick highlighted it last week. God worked creating in six days and then it's announced on the seventh day God rested from his work. And that's what we're talking about here. God resting from his work so that we can rest from our work. It's a salvation issue and it's, it's anticipated in, in, in Leviticus 23 already in the Old Testament. In Leviticus, God comes to Moses and says, you know what? This is what I'm telling you to do. There's going to be a day of atonement. It's on the 10th day of the 7th month. That'd be September or October. And what I want you to do is hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves and present an offering made to the Lord by fire. Do no work on that day because it's the day of atonement when atonement is made for you before the Lord your God. And then verse 32, it is a Sabbath of rest for you. You must deny yourselves. From the evening of the ninth day of the month until the following evening, you are to observe your Sabbath. It's that Old Testament anticipation of what God's doing already and will do more of in the New Testament. God is providing atonement for his people in the Old Testament. God is saying, stop, take the day off, come together, present an offering, because it's a reminder that I have made atonement for you. It points to the call to stop struggling and to obediently and faithfully enter into that rest. In the New Testament, Nick quoted this verse too. This is Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30, where Jesus says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke referring to his teaching. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I will give you rest for your souls. It draws the comparison between the Old Testament, between the work, the teachings of the Pharisees, the yoke of the Pharisees, obey the 1,500 rules and regulations that we have led down, and if you do that pretty well, God's going to be okay with you to hearing what Jesus offers. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And you will find rest for your souls. Beth and I were talking about what this message, uh, where we were going with this message, and, and she kind of pulled out, okay, Beth, she pulled out um, a song, an old song, I had to clear the cobwebs in my head to be able to sing it because it picks up on the words of Jesus in that passage and in other places which speak about the rest that God offers. <clears throat>
I heard the voice of Jesus say, Come unto me and rest. Lay down, thou weary one, lay down thy head upon my breast. I looked to Jesus as I was weary and worn and sad. I found in him a resting place, and he has made me glad. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Behold, I freely give the living water. Thirsty one, stoop down and drink and live. I came to Jesus, and I drank of that life-giving stream. My thirst was quenched, my soul revived, and now I live in Him. It's a song that reminds us of what Jesus is saying to us. I'll give you rest. I'll quench your thirst. There is an already but not yet aspect to that. There's an already aspect to that. You read it in the verse, that last verse of our passage, where it says, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. The example of the Israelites in the Old Testament. Make every effort. Work hard. Isn't that interesting? There's all this conversation about rest. But work hard to enter that rest. And the reason the Scripture puts it that way is because of the evidence of disobedience in the past. The evidence that the people of Israel were at the edge of the land of Canaan. They were promised the land of rest. And they saw the challenge and said, nope, nope, can't do it. Don't be like them, Hebrews says. Make every effort to enter that rest. Work hard to enter it. Commit yourself to it. As the song that I just sang also says, I came to Jesus as I was. I drank of that life-giving stream. And then there's that eternal Sabbath. Revelation 14 verse 13 sort of has us thinking in that direction. It's a verse that I've sometimes used for funeral messages, memorial services. It's, it's one where uh, the voice from heaven says, write to John, blessed are those who die in the Lord. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. They will rest from their labor. There's something about what happens when we die. We enter that eternal rest. You could go on to Revelation 21 and 22 and see further descriptions of all of that. I mentioned the Heidelberg Catechism at the beginning of the service. 
There's a point at which in that document we get to kind of a study of the Ten Commandments. And there's a question and answer that pop up in connection with the fourth commandment. Uh, and the fourth commandment is observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. That's the fourth commandment. And it's so interesting what we read and what we've memorized as answers to that. There's, it doesn't enter into the kind of discussion that you might have with your Seventh-day Adventist neighbor about is it still the seventh day or is it the first day of the week? It simply has a two-part answer. First, that the gospel ministry and education for it be maintained, especially on the festive day of rest. I regularly attend the assembly of God's people to learn what God's word teaches, to participate in the sacraments, to pray to God publicly, and to bring Christian offerings for the poor. And then there's a second part to the answer. Second, that every day of my life I rest from my evil ways. That's, that's strong language. And it, it just calls on each one of us to just ask ourselves, what am I to be resting from? What are the evil ways that I need to be stepping away from? What sorts of habits, what sorts of relationships, what sorts of things do I need to be stepping away from so that I rest and let the Lord work in me through His Spirit and so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. I'm going to ask the praise team to come on up. We're going to be singing a song which also helps us understand how that might work. But just keep thinking about the hard work you might need to do as you experience the rest that God gives.